evening. This is Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Corn sugar and caffeine. I feel my body in two different places. On the show tonight, we've got the big boss himself, Martin Hellier, is here. He's joined by Mr. Tony Pounder. Ricky Hyatt's here. Adam Davis joins us. And then there's me. So sit back and enjoy. Get yourself a cup of tea or a gin and tonic. And let's have a bit of good old football banter. I hope you like our new theme music. If you like it, it's uh, been pinched from the television series called Bosch. And if you get a chance to watch it, it's brilliant. I can recommend it. What do you know about the line of madness? I need a new it's good for your head. You can donate your heart to science, but it won't break your back from the I got a feeling that I can't let go. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Football Bloody Hell. Hope you like the new theme music, because I think it's great. But uh, there we go. We'll see about that. First of all, though, let us welcome our guests to the show tonight. First of all, we've got the boss himself. Martin Hellier has joined us again for his monthly report. Hi, Martin. How you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, and then we're also joined by Tony Pounder, who's been off playing golf so many Mondays I can't recall when he was last on. Good evening, Mr. Fat Harry and all the guests. Yeah. Um, Adam, Adam Davis is here. Thanks, Adam, for joining us. Pleasure as always. And last but not least, Ricky Hyatt's here. All right, Rick? Yeah, evening. Evening, everyone. Good, good, good. Well, I guess we've got to start, haven't we, with uh, what happened on Saturday. Um, Yeovil won a game. Wahey! So, uh, what did you think, thought, Mr. Chairman? I, I, you, thought you, you... I thought you were about the previous Saturday for a moment, but yeah, that would do. <laughs> um, um, how did you enjoy the whole thing? I mean, it must have been uh, um, well. I wouldn't say a relief exactly because it should have. We should have won the first one. So, um, but uh, you know, we won, and that's the main thing. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was there was there was there was two wins on Saturday. Really, one one was obviously um, the team winning, and one was you know seeing lots of bodies flow into the sort of areas that we created around the back and so on. So it was a yeah, it was a it was a great day, a great feeling of uh, a great sense of occasion. Um, so to welcome fans in a couple of hours before the match and. Uh, provide some hospitality and you know to, to make the point we're aware that we didn't get people served quite as quickly as we wanted to um but that said if we had a bar operating at 50 percent capacity well that was 50 percent more than what was there last season so we're on it and you know you know me and you know the sort of sense of standards i want to achieve so needless to say we're, we're beavering away to improve that so we, we thank the fans for their patience on that one Tony, were you at the game? No, unfortunately, I wasn't um, on there Saturday. But um, from what I understand, looking on Twitter and speaking to people, everything was a massive success. Um, obviously, I haven't spoken to Martin before, but first of all, big congratulations, Martin. Thank you. Know, you. You, brought the, you brought the life back to the club. It's you know it's been crying out for this for years, and you know it's one you know small step at a time, but. Um, Mm. Certainly, speaking to the fans and in work and everything, you know, the whole atmosphere is there back. And, you know, hopefully the good days will come rolling back now. Sure. No, it's a great honour for us. And we, 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 we always remain humble for the opportunity of uh, being in charge of such a historical club. It's quite, quite a sobering um, 
you know, challenge with, with that responsibility, but we're, we're, we're loving every minute of it. But thank you for that. No, it's brilliant. And that, but, um, yeah, hopefully, like I say, the things are starting to turn around on the pitch as well. Uh, with um, Coops there doing a good job. Uh, hopefully, the result is, it was never going to be easy to start with. There are quite a new, few new signings. Mm. Um, everyone's out to beat the Oval as well. It's like a cup final for everyone else. So, yeah, um, quite a scalp to take to come to Hewish, which, which for some of those teams coming up through the sort of grassroots up through National League South, you know, that's a that's a coliseum to come to, really. Right. And, and, you know, it's, just in a scalp like Yeovil does give them an extra bit of impetus to try and beat us, for sure. Well, it's like it's like an FA Cup for them, isn't it? When they come, they, you know, the, the seconds, they, they're not used to playing in front of three, three and a half pounds. So they're always going to raise the game. So you're going to have that all season. And even when you go away, taking a good support, everyone's going to want to beat you over. They're the team to beat. Um, so, you know, looking forward. Got the three points on the board now. So onwards and upwards, I say. Onwards and upwards. And, and what, four home games in a row if we take last Saturday and tomorrow night and, and the next two. So there's a good chance to test out, you know, the things we've created and sort of stress test them and so on. And, and again, you know, to fans, there will be elements of it that aren't quite going as fast as we want to but needless to say you know the amount we were able to process compared to last season is 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 incredible so you know we will get there and just hang in there if we would that'd be great so, yeah. i'm yeah, sure they will i mean to have some musical entertainment as well beforehand that's that sort of you know it, it, it gets people in the right mood doesn't it and i think that's important. oh definitely i mean that's a place to be if you're a if you're a local band wanting to make a mark i mean to to play at hewish on a saturday afternoon is Surely the greatest accolade. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, sorry, yeah, but I just said, uh, about three, four years ago, I did. Um, I was doing some commentating at Bristol City, and um, they were the first ones I seen who had a band. They used to do all local bands just inside as you go into Aston Gate. Mm. Um, and a lot of them have gone on to bigger things, but they did, like, they advertised their cards, so they got wedding gigs and stuff. And... I've been saying it at Yoba for a while now. You know, this is the way to get the fans in early. It's just such a... It's a simple thing, and it gives local businesses, like groups and stuff, a, a bit of a head start as well. I just I think mean, it's been... I mean, you just, you just... You know, we once a band was up and going, and a, a bit of time had passed, you walk around the back, and I don't know how many was around there. 200, 300 people, all yeah. chatting talking to each other in the sunshine with their pints and you know, kids, families, music playing. I mean, the sense of community spirit, it, it, it made you wonder where where they did stand before, to be honest with you. We're going to put more benches in, more more facilities and so on. But as a first sort of strike, and you've got to remember the bar you're drinking from kind of, kind of didn't exist a week ago. The bandstand, the band were playing from, didn't exist a week ago, so it gives a, an idea of the of the kind of work that you know contractors, my kids, and, and so on have, have put in on it. So it was it was right up to the up to the up to the last minute. And again, as I've always said, it it, it will be a program of continual improvement for fans and everyone. So so you yeah, really do appreciate you sort of showing faith in us and allowing us to demonstrate what we what we always intended to do. Adam, what did you think of it? Adam? Sorry, I didn't really, I didn't hear me. I, I was very impressed with it. Um, it was, again, not able to attend the match. Living 350 miles away does make it slightly more difficult than I'd like. Um, but the actual, everything around it and the whole, it seems like the whole process has completely changed in, in terms of how matches are approached. Um, there was a lovely sense of community that was abundantly obvious just from social media. I imagine that was a whole other level actually being there in person. Um, I've seen a lot of the videos that have come out sort of effectively behind the scenes things. Um, this is stuff that I regularly uh, recommend to clients of mine, but it was lovely to see my own club actually do it to get a sense of connection back to it. It's it's a club that has, I think, lost its community or at least it missed its why it was a football club in the first place or how it got there for, for far too long. You know, realistically, I've, I've been a fan for just over 20 years and I can recall maybe three, four happy seasons and that's that's a, a grinding shame, really, and certainly not many in the last 10. So, so something that was uh, really nice to see, uh, it helped we got a win as well. That that will always help. Um, our first game back, we you always see a trend of, 
retention but the you have to the only way you can have a retention of attendance is actually having things that people want to go back to outside of good football as well um i think things like badges bar was a really nice touch as well so yeah overall um really impressed from someone very much on the outside Brilliant. Rick. hello rick hello hello um uh, yeah I, I was again full house i wasn't there saturday because i was uh, avoiding the rain in wales playing cricket, but I am going to be there tomorrow on cons tomorrow for the Truro match. And it's uh, the thing that people need to realise, of course, is that was also the largest attendance in National League South that you had to cope with. And different to uh, Brentford and, and Arsenal, we managed to kick off on time, which was... I mean, as far as I'm aware, we were, we were the highest in National League South, highest in National League North. It would equate to being fourth National League attendance and I think we yep. were even qualified for League Two in that in that sense as yep. well. So so and you know, absolute credit to the fans. That's that's utterly purely down to them in having the, the faith in us and uh coming to enjoy what we were trying to create. So so you know they say build it and they will come, but you can't necessarily always count on that. So you you know, we are incredibly grateful for the fans to come in and have a look and give it a go. So brilliant stuff. Well, three points hopefully means that they'll all be back there again on uh, on Tuesday. Indeed. Indeed, it's quite a size ticket sale already on that one. So, so yeah. it's it's uh, you know so far as predictions go, it's you know possibly what would I dare say, fifteen percent less than Saturday. Now it's a Tuesday night one, yeah, of August holiday time, kids off, and all of that sort of thing. So you know, there's such a buoyancy to it now. Anyone might expect a big crowd on your first home game of the new season um, with all the changes we've made. And, and hopefully we can carry on quoting numbers like that four, five, six games into it. So it's brilliant. You provided the buoyancy and, you know, the, the, the confidence to turn out in those numbers. And so, you know, it, it makes it all worthwhile. It's like we were saying before the season, I want it. it's, it's about momentum now. I mean, the curiosity element, people that wanted to come and have a look because there's been a buzz around the place since you took over. And yeah. that curiosity, now that they've had a look, they've seen things, hopefully they've liked it. Yeah, and I think I think Adam touched on it a lot. And there was this there was this incredible disconnect between the club and the fans. I, I, I've said it before, I think if you're an owner from another part of the world, perhaps you don't have that natural kind of roots and engagement. Um, you could say it almost, the club had almost become quite selfish in itself with regards to that. And so... It does all, you know, we've been doing at the club for almost three months to the day and it's been quite a sort of desolate place. And then when you see those green shirts filing in and, 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 and their reactions and so on, I mean, that's what it needed. That was the final touch was fill it with fans. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it, it, as far as I can tell, it's fairly universally liked. And yeah, sure, there's improvements to make all the time. And, there is on everything and every sinuate of every business forever until the day you stop. Otherwise, it, well, it would be quite a boring thing for me if we reach perfection. Um, you know, so, so yeah, we love it. It can't thank the fans enough. Well, it's an ongoing project, isn't it? You're going to find things that work, things that don't work continually. And hopefully it's a, it's a matter of dealing with that number of spectators every week. Yeah. Things start going properly, as, as we all hope they do on the field. Yeah, and then that, that keeps those numbers there, and it and, and you can keep improving it. And that's it. And we, we also have to consider: well, what do we provide when it's pouring down? What do we provide when it's a freezing cold winter's day? And all those things. So we're always looking ahead and ahead and ahead, and sort of time restraints and all that sort of thing. But I mean, given the area that it was, given the relatively small things we've done, if you like, and it not you know, so as as I don't know as far as what you see when you get there. It's just providing kind of the basics: food, drink, some music, and uh, you know, uh, a space to be able to arrive two hours earlier. As I understand it, the arrow was rather quiet on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the, the, only the other thing is the improvement. You uh, you added a, a, a few little touches. I mean, first of all, I gather there was flags there on everybody's seat, which is uh, a good yeah. thing. I've I've I will remember loads of times suggesting that to John Fry but he wouldn't spend the money and the other I thing think, of course is your yeah, ring walk yeah. I mean uh, that was uh, a new touch and I thought that was brilliant 
Well, I never presumed that the walk was a new touch. I thought because it's sort of, you know, a, a fairly kind of sort of inaugural hello and thank you sort of thing. With regards to the flags, I think we put about 2,000 out. And our Jack said, you know, we've got a lot left. I'll put some more out. And I said, you're more than welcome to, Jack, because you're picking them all up Sunday morning. <laughs> so, um, as far as the walk around the pitch went, I've, I've kind of thought about this a lot later, uh, since because, you know, I'm aware of some derogatory comments and so on, and we don't pay too much attention to that. But I think someone made a comment of, oh, it's all about him, it's a ego thing. And, and, you know, I was going to deny that and say, no, of course not. But then I came to the conclusion, do you know what? I think in a way it was for the sense of, you know, without bleating on too much, overcoming a lot of adversity, going through recent bereavement and so on, taking a lot of flack, taking a risk with it all. I think I paid a lot for that back garden, so I don't mind just walking around it once, if you don't mind. <laughs> and, um, you know, but... But really, you know, fans need to understand we're walking around that pitch to thank all of them for their faith in us, all of them for the numbers they turned out in and all of them for, for you know, turning out in higher numbers than we would have ever achieved in a, in, in a league above. So and also to acknowledge the two boys with me that that worked incredibly hard and, and to give them a little memory to hang on to walking around there. So so I hope most fans will appreciate that it wasn't for any uh, selfish agenda but it was just just to say you know let's do this once and and then uh let's crack on so you know that's that there's a rumor going around that you're going to cut the grass after the, the uh truro match is that correct uh, who told what which grass a bit out the front or the pitch no the pitch i mean it's your garden you just oh, said so no <laughs> i mean josh would be tackling me to the ground if i even thought i was <laughs> going to do that i like cutting grass but depends how big the mower is because that's yeah. a fair chunks and no no i don't think i don't think i'd get away with that one thank you <laughs> nor would i wish to um going to the to the pitch uh, you know the, the the play the match um certainly it looked as though mark's perhaps just about got the the, the mix right in the team i mean i know it's early days it's only second game and it's it's only the first game on grass but it looked a balanced unit to me from what i could see yeah, I mean, let's look at the circumstances of last season, firstly, and, and Mark was under constant flack as soon as the team is, you know, I think I think when Mark first joined us, he had, he had something like 10 out of 12 wins or, or, or thereabouts. Um, you know, and, and you, you're a hero then, you're the Messiah. As soon as you start losing, it's the manager's fault. But we're all aware anyone of any age, of any level of support would have said we lack strikers. Um We've provided those. We've given Mark the resource. Now, you, you're not going to recruit, you know, the firepower we've got and have them perfectly synchronised on day one. It's a little bit of season. You know, they've got to grow into each other and learn each other. You have off days and so on. But it's got the firepower. Sometimes something doesn't click. It's analysed afterwards, both statistically and, and, and just in the basics of it all. And, you know... He's, uh, you know, if you like, a tradesman that we've given all the right tools to. And I've always said, give him, give him a season to, to prove himself. Uh, how else could you judge any manager? I, I don't really think he's had a clear run to do that up to now. So that's our, that's our decision to make that investment, both financially and in our, in our beliefs in him. And, yeah, I think, you know, Newport, fantastic. Uh, Hemel didn't quite click. It's going to happen. And, um, you know, St. Albans, somewhere in between, perhaps. So everyone's learning from it, clicking, you know, getting that right click together. Old players, new players, 40 um, odd games to go. You know, let's just try and have some faith and, and you know, let him, let him try and do his job, I think. Well, jo Josh was on a, a few weeks ago and he seemed to be making. Uh... From what he was saying, he seems really happy with the lads in the dressing room. They seem like a good bunch. You seem to be getting on with each other and they're sort of bonding. So hopefully that just improves as the season goes on. Totally. And and and, and Mark in the you know, in, in the in the in the start of the season said he was keen to recruit characters as much as skill and you know, the interaction in the different characters and so on is is really, really there. Um there's a gen genuine kind of 
bond, friendliness, respect um, of each other's skill set, you know, and that that counts for a lot when you when you know you need the camaraderie of a team going out there, and you know that drives it, and you know with good fan support behind them, decent chanting, and I'll, I'll say to the fans that you know sometimes I hear a lot louder chanting from say. 50 away fans sometimes and 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 you know in those quiet sort of lulls where, where it's going a bit quiet you know raise your voices and try and get behind the team but definitely definitely the characteristics of all the team between them that you don't have that sort of that sort of one that's kind of not quite clicking or sitting further up the bench or whatever it is they they, they are a you know a remarkably close-knit friends and and, 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 and and comrades within that team. And that makes a hell of a difference when you're going out there, I think. And a decent changing room. We're lucky, pictures, yeah. we're lucky we've got a, a, a football club chairman on, on the show tonight in you, Martin. Um, it's the start of a new season overall. It, it seems to me uh, it's, a, it's a different feel about thing. And it all seems to surround money. When you look at some of the things that are going on, for example, Chelsea outbidding Liverpool by, um, I don't know, five million or whatever it is they've done to get this Caicedo guy. We now hear that possibly, or is it just another rumour, that the Glazers are going to accept £7.3 billion for United. Money suddenly seems to be playing a huge, huge and it's getting bigger all the time. I mean, uh, you know, I always say when you look back, um, I blame Brian Clough because when he spent that million pound on Trevor Francis, that kind of set the whole ball rolling. And now look at it, you know, £115 pound, uh, million pounds for Caicedo. It's well, in, in, in we had this conversation, you know, a few weeks back, and it's it's not football, is it? I mean, not, not as I would interpret it. I mean, you know, back then, a million pounds seemed absolutely incredible. These days, you know, you're talking a billion pounds and it's almost kind of acceptable. And you think, well, it's, it's, uh, it's as I said a few weeks ago, it, it, it's, you know, the football. I mean, it's almost like you want to win to the degree that you'll put a disproportionate money into being able to win. Is that still football or is it resale rights, merchandising, bigger plans, all that type of thing? I don't know because... The others are doing it because the other ones are doing it. And you just get this perpetuating kind of snowballing out of control thing. Um, it's never going to become less. It's only going to get more. And I don't know. I don't know how comparable that type of football is to this level of football in terms of the actual how notes and things. I don't know. It's almost it's so perverse. It's almost hard to have a rational conversation about it. Well, those numbers are actually impossible to get your head around if you actually think of what those think that just on a personal level like a like a salary of i don't know 70 80 grand a year is enough to have a decent living and whatever and people are talking about that more than that a week that's just madness one one of the one of the big differences if you like is at that level ticket revenue is is of such an insignificance to a club that size Whereas it's the majority of our income at a club our size. And so they're creating more than a game of football as such. It's all the spin-off resale merchandising, uh, syndicated television channels and all this type of thing. And that's the real kind of clear difference in all of this is, is that the, the ticket revenue is totally insignificant to them. Whereas a club at this level it's the majority of your income. If you were to derive any sort of difference between that level and this level. So, again, is it still the same type of football? Um, or is it very astute, commercially-minded people who who know how to turn a buck? I don't know, but that's still not football, as far well, as I'm concerned. Yeah. But then where, where do you draw the line? I mean, if I put in an amount of money that was disproportionate to Yeovil Town and it made us go up a level... Would that be wrong to the fans as much as this is wrong to us? So it's a very, you know, when is it okay, when is it not kind of thing. That's the, I think we're all shocked by the, the size of those numbers, but it, 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 
be a comparable thing, perhaps. But I don't know. I think I think everyone's getting so carried away with it, they haven't really stopped and had a collective chat with each other and said, should we stop doing this for a minute and, and uh, agree something else? I don't know. We do some coaching for a change. That might be... Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, as a lot of people say, throw enough money at it and, and it'll work. But I presume at some point in their lives, they, they want that money back. Or for it was to... that Todd Bowley who said that? What was that, sorry? Was that Todd Bowley who said that? I mean, it doesn't seem to be working for him at the moment. No, I don't. I don't that's one of mine, I think. But, you know, it's, uh, uh, again, it, it's, is it an unfair advantage? Well, is it if all the other teams are having to do it to keep up? Um Plenty of investors, plenty of foreign investors that, that want to get in on that. I don't know. All I know is I don't think it will become any less. It will continue to be a, a absurd. So. Adam, you're the, you're the money expert. Here we go. I knew this was coming, Adam. I knew he was teeing you up. Go on, it's your moment, son. I've been biding the time for many minutes, AD. What do you want to know? Well, I just wonder what your thoughts were on the, on the uh, collective problem, shall we say? Well, it's it's only a problem if it fails, is is my view on it all. Uh, at the moment, chucking an inter, um, an insurmountable amount of money, th- what we see at the top of English football uh, in particular, but we're seeing it across the globe, is an inherent gambling culture that basically, if we put a little bit more in, that will be the difference, as opposed to seeing the whole scale changes or, you know, it, it's very less, uh, there's significantly less tangible Things you know, we, you know, if you compare it to Yeovil, that the inf- the investment has gone into players, but it's also gone to the stadium. So much so, we can see it. A lot of the time in football, at the very top end at the moment, so the commercial rights and things like that, is stuff that play uh, that the fans very rarely see, and therefore they expect more money to be spent, so they can actually feel like they are vindicated for the money they spend. Um, in comparison, at the Premier League level, the average amount of revenue earned by a Premier League club in terms of gate receipts is around twenty percent. Which is which is tiny, obviously, in comparison to others. Some it is it is higher than others. Um, so someone like Manchester United or Tottenham are more up at that towards that twenty percent level. Whereas if you're someone like Bournemouth, their most recent set of accounts, because of the relatively small size of the vitality, their revenue was only three percent as a result of tickets uh, match day tickets last season. Yeah. So so a huge a huge level of difference that we see. It's this over reliance on the broadcast revenue, and then you see the clubs further down the league going. Well, if we're not too far away, that then that can be us. And sometimes it is, and that's why we see so many clubs have gambled. Um, it's not a surprise that two clubs that have received uh, an over-exaggerated amount of parachute payments in the form of Burnley and Sheffield United have immediately returned to the Premier League. And even Luton aren't exactly, although they're seen as somewhat the poster boys of, of doing it cheaply, they still spent more on wages than they did on revenue last season. It's That's, that's the level of... It's almost like when, when when is doing the right thing in business becomes the wrong thing for football. Well, th- this is exactly it, and and it's not a it's not that much of a surprise to see lots of very successful businessmen go into sport thinking that they can change it, and some do and some don't. But the the thing is, it's not as it's not as much of a, a foregone conclusion as I think many of them expect it will be. So so you know, we you know there's plenty of examples of that over time. What you need is a coherent strategy from the very top, something that people will actually go, this is what we will stick to. And if it doesn't work, we will work through it together. The most obvious examples of this are Brighton and Brentford up at the Premier League level. But even then, they've had to spend a huge amount of money to get there. I think Brighton is currently owed somewhere in the tube of about £350 million to their owner in the form of Tony Bloom. And they're meant to be the good guys. You know, they're the ones that are going to be getting that 150 million off Moises Caicedo. So it's um, it's a really interesting one. Whether I necessarily see it as bad for football, potentially, what I do see is the fact that the distribution currently seen in English football is massively out of whack. That the they don't the Premier League give a fairly decent amount of money to the pyramid. The problem is they only give it to eight clubs in the form of parachute payments. The amount earned, um, Martin will be able to tell you the more exact details, not that he's uh, going to and that's more than understandable but you'll know that the amount received from the very top is negligible even at a national league south level it's 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 barely anything and that's not right because without the pyramid you can't see you don't see the premier league in its current form i, I can't remember the exact number but of the 23 man squad of the world cup 
I think 18 of them or something along those lines had affiliations to EFL clubs and National League clubs through where they started. All you have to do is look at someone like Tyrone Mings, who unfortunately massively did his knee in on Saturday. You know, he started at the same level. He played for Chippenham no less than 10 years ago. It's um, There's a lot of things wrong with English football, but there's lots of things that need to be and can very easily be changed. Mm. It does make you wonder if there's not a system to to recognise or, you know, pay some sort of tribute payment or something down the line for the clubs in which they originally kind of came up through the system. If, if Unfortunately, there was. There were, that was the case for, for many years. But recently, probably since I think 2013, the Premier League introduced something known as the Elite Player Performance Plan, which basically meant that the Premier League could nick whoever they liked for relatively negligible sums of money. It's why we saw Sancho end up from Watford to Manchester City for less than a million pounds and then sold him on for eight and plus to Dortmund and then obviously seeing where he's gone since. And and this is very much the case there that the Premier League has all the power there are organisations out there at the moment that are trying to advocate the change. And I think the government is listening. But it, I think that's the only way we will see monumental shifts in how football is currently run is through government intervention. Whether they should, of course, is an entirely different matter. Tony, I bet you wish, uh, wish you had the wages that they're getting now, don't you? Oh, I wish. I remember um, when I left uh, Weymouth to go to Bristol Rovers, I actually took a pay cut. Yeah. And that was the old, once I joined in, the old second division. So the championship now was going from conference to there with my job and that. But money wasn't an issue then. I wasn't, I was given a chance to have a four-year contract at Bristol Rovers in the championship. Or, you know, I wasn't even worried about the money. It was just, it's a boyhood, boyhood dream, isn't it, to play football. So certainly football's changed over the time. I think mine related to it earlier. It's not the football I know from years ago um, and most kids would give the right arm to play any professional football I don't think they worry about the money perhaps not so much nowadays where you know you, you weren't worried about your win bonus so much and everything you just played for the love of it um, so it's certainly changed over the years um, and it's more it's a commodity business now and it's a massive massive business like, and it's only going to get stronger I think with uh, so many foreign investors now Moving on to another topic which uh, I think is going to cause a few problems is this uh, Howard Webb's decision to start mucking about with extra time. Now, I mean, you know, some of the figures that have been quoted, I think I'm right in saying our second half was 10 minutes, was it, Martin? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, 10 minutes, yeah. Ten, ten, a long, is, that was a long 10 minutes and all. Yeah, well, that that's 10, but I mean, there's one club had 14 minutes. I mean, you know, how's that going to work? Because... You know, if, if you come all the way down by public transport, i.e. train, I can't see British Railway. You know, they're not going to hold up the trains to get you home, are they? No. You know, no. that's, that's I just think it's what... going to be confined within a limitation of some sort, and I think it puts more onus on on the match officials during the game because they're aware of that fact, and and you know they might sort of move things along a bit quicker as to you know you're coming off the pitch, you're staying on, or you know you get sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've also got to think that managers, players, you know, trained to, to you know, stamina-wise to a certain, you know, maximum that you expect to be on. And, you know, it's not enough because they were stood around for 10 minutes during the game waiting for someone to, you know, either get up or be, be or, or to walk off or whatever it is. doesn't mean that they've got an extra 10 minutes in the tank. And as you said, there's, there's, there's logistical aspects to that in the sense of, Match stewards, uh, 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 traffic issues, transport, you know, parking, all, all the little bits on top of that. So, you know, you, you, you probably end up with a, a, a handful, a few select people deciding these things, but actually affects thousands of people, albeit, you know, it's certainly not a trivial thing if you've only got a 10 minute window to catch your train home or something. Yeah. What do you think, Rick? Yeah, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't come into it. They're, they're thinking at all, because if that was the situation, then the Premier League wouldn't arrange Manchester City versus Newcastle at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night like they have done this week. I don't think the, spectac the spectators are way down this. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, they're not concerned about the fans. No, I mean, that's, that's quite believable, yeah. yeah. 5.30 on a Saturday is pushing it, but if you have an 8 o'clock fixture, it's just, it's just greed. It's just an extra fixture for TV, mm. and it's the, the fans aren't involved in it at all. But as far as the time during the game, hopefully, I heard an interview with uh, 
a couple of interviews with Howard Webb and he said, you know, it's, it's one of those situations again where it's initially at the start of the season, you do get your big figures come in and then as people get used to the system and there's less, hopefully, time wasting within the game or incidents that result in it, you'll probably find out that it's it's going to be a maximum of about six minutes mm. per half as the season as the season wears on, or, that, or at least that's what that's what they're expecting. But there are changes that have been been positive. It's nice to see people getting yellow cards for uh, waving imaginary cards. That's always uh, it's nice to see. And did, does anyone know how um, Newcastle got on with with the, with the uh, what well, the time wasting? No, the Jason no, I Tinder. I watched it. He he's still there, Ricky. He's still Is there. He's still there, and he hasn't got punished for it. You will never get rid of Jason Tyndall, no matter That's how many rules you throw at him. They brought in he... a rule specifically to stop him being such an ass on a Saturday, and he's still doing it. Amazing. It's. Yeah. I mean, never never put it past him. He's. Uh, if anything, he's just more grateful. It's made all about him. I, I don't think that's unreasonable to suggest. The extra time is an interesting one. Yeah, the extra time is an interesting one because, for me. I actually kind of welcome it as much as it's a, you know, a relative kick in the teeth to the fans, you know, away travel more than anything. I can completely understand that point of view. The counterpoint to it is you've come and paid for a game of football. And if those and that extra time is what it's doing is giving you, in theory, more value for your money rather than those players doing it. There are exceptions to this. Of course, if the player is genuinely injured, these are, you know, this they, they need the time to recover. And, and I can completely understand Martin's point regarding conditioning. But half the time there, you know, it could be tactical. It could be seen as tactical, these sort of things. And, and people get rather frustrated. Me personally, what is the point in having added time, at least prior to this, if it was just effectively made up because what they couldn't, what they can't explain to me now is now the fact that it's 14 minutes for effectively the same game of football because of injuries and substitutes and time wasting and things. How can't, how did they come to their conclusion beforehand? Where did three or four minutes come from in the beginning? Was it effectively made up? Because surely if it's using those same factors, the time should remain the same. What I'm hoping it will do is deter them from, the tactical time wasting things like this fans not sitting there just waiting for something to happen and and over time i sort of agree with how whether that time should come down to a bit more realistic which is you know for injuries for substitutes for for those sort of decisions and and bring it down to what we might consider a more reasonable amount of extra time well three or four minute breaks for a bar check don't help do they no, no, absolutely, but that doesn't explain it uh you know for ten minutes at huge park, for example. Yeah. or anything like that but uh, I think I think it will change I mean VAR again is going through another iteration and hopefully it will get slightly better but it's uh, I mean it might be the theme of the entire podcast continual progress you talk about VAR which has brought something to my mind I think I'm right to say I, I saw two games on match of the day uh, Newcastle was one can't remember the other one but there was a penalty given I think it was against the Aston Villa player he was going down, his elbow was sticking out kind of behind him, and he was going down. There was absolutely no way that it was a penalty in my book because, you know, he couldn't avoid it. The ball hit his elbow. I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? I mean, Martin, imagine it was, it was a Yeovil player and it was a vital game that, you know, could control relegation, for example. I mean, you know, how do you feel about it? I always, I always think you have to be honest in oneself in the sense that if we were awarded a penalty on that basis, would we challenge the decision equally as much? And that might not sound popular to people listening. Um, at this level of football especially, you know, in greatest respect to the referees and linesmen and so on that do an incredible job, we all know statistically or otherwise at the level of officiating down at this level is it might be slightly you know more challenging you know you may challenge it a little bit more than higher levels really so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of being devil's advocate here in, in, in that probably experienced plenty of decisions that have gone against us all I would say is I we probably haven't challenged them as much if it went in our favor but that's not to say a bad decision is not a bad decision um 
And sometimes, you know, these are humans running around, trip up, you catch something, you land a bit funny, your foot was near his, was it or wasn't it? Ultimately, you either have to let the refs do their job or not do them. I mean, we, we drive ourselves bonkers, um, otherwise trying to really analyse whether it was right or wrong. And I, all, all I would say is that if I was to sit on the fence completely is, do we, challenge, do, do we question as many decisions when they work in our favour as when they work against us? But I might not be popular for that comment. But well, Yeovil have already been on the wrong end of one, haven't they? The first game of the season. Yeah. It turns out that the goal yeah. that was disallowed for offside yeah. wasn't offside. No. So um, you just hope, at that level, you hope that it evens itself out over the course of a season. And it, and it, you know, it always inevitably feels on balance that it was more against <laughs> us than it was for us. Yeah. Um, but that's us being Yeovil fans and, 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 you know, some decisions being against them. Um, you would hope that the system... Generally, statistically, if you flip a coin, sometimes it's heads, sometimes it's tails. That, that sometimes some of those decisions will go in our favour, but that's what we're at, you know. So I think, I mean, if it reaches such a level where it appears to be so biased, and we've seen it on occasion, I'm sure the fans voice it. And uh, but does it make any difference at the end of the day? Tony, what do you think? I mean. Um... There was a few same old, same old, same new season, same old things. And for example, Liverpool and Chelsea drawing. For example, Haaland getting two goals. Um, you know, those two elements don't seem to have changed. What did you make of the first uh, Premier League weekend? Well, I think, like you say, you got your six or seven big boys in the top there who's always going to be up challenging. Um, I think you always see the start of the season, you see quite a lot of draws because it's quite contagious for the first two or three games. Um, if you said before the start of the season who's going to be the top six, I bet most of us would be virtually the same team because you know there seems to be like a little mini league, the top six or seven, then there's the middle bracket, then you've got your five or six fighting relegation now. Um, and what we said before about the money coming in, that's the big clubs got the money to spend and they're always going to be up there. Um, but it's great to have it back on, um, watching football all around. But I must admit at the moment, I prefer watching the lower leagues because the premiership's just getting a bit predictable for me at the moment. Um, the championship and the lower leagues, and my county always need it. You're getting far more entertainment, I think. Personally, I don't know how you all feel. But I just think it's a bit predictable, the premiership. You say about the money tone, about the, the, the club. Some, well, there's, there's one club that can't spend £115 million even if they try to. Yeah. But they're, they're still going to be top eight, aren't they? They're going to be yeah. out there. You, you could, I bet if we all sort of said our top eight, you would basically pick the same ones. But it seems to be a bit of a breakaway. Then you've got your... You know, there's always one or two like Brighton or West Ham trying to dip in there, but the next year they're not. Um, and it's going to be the three who always come up from the championship or always fighting to hang in there. Um, like I said, money does talk in the Premiership for sure. Um, I just, like I said, I just prefer to watch the uh, lower league football at the moment myself. Martin, what do you I, think about it's far this? More, it's far more community focused at lower level as well, isn't it? If you, I don't know what the what the geographic splits are on the fan, but you know the attendance at the. Uh, top clubs there, but it does feel like it's more like you're, 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 you're you know, supporting your community as much as your team. So, sorry, Dave, go on. No, I was going to say, what do you think about the, the, I don't know whether ethics is quite the right word, but this sort of little transfer spat that Chelsea are trying to outdo Liverpool, they, they seem to have done it with Caicedo, and I'm not quite sure about the uh, the Southampton guy, but certainly uh, it does seem, you know, you don't you don't normally get that sort of thing happening, do you? I don't know, really. Do 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 we? I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm quite surprised. You know, being involved in the football industry, that there is a lot of I wouldn't like I wouldn't say skullduggery, if you like, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that uh, you know might be might be what you consider a little less than general sort of business etiquette and the, and the little things that go on. Um, ultimately, again, we come back to the fact that. If you're a business and you're trying to make your business more successful, are you going to do the things that make it more successful? And, and at what point are they detrimental to the football? So they, at every level, um, to, to varying degrees, there's the amount of stuff that goes on, which, you know, is not 
say, illegal or, 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 or possibly even massively immoral, but everyone will utilise the, the options they've got in front of them in order to get better. And so, you know, there's probably none of them are angels and, and, and most of them are not really anything terribly, terribly bad, but you're going to do what you can do with your resources to, to keep going upwards and attracting bigger sponsors, bigger ticket revenue, merchandise, film right, uh, TV rights and so on. So it would be hard if you like for one club to judge another club, if you like. I would say certainly it'd be right for fans to judge a club, but clubs judging each other, with, you know, the old adage of people in glass houses and so on. Yeah, well, that's what that's why people have to be careful what, what they say because there are managers that make ridiculous statements when Paul Pogba gets signed about transfer fees and how they're ridiculous, and then they go and get some Saudi money as when Jordan Henderson takes his rainbow laces out of the country, and all of a sudden they've got a lot of money and bid over a hundred million themselves and get smacked on the bum. Yeah. So you've got to be careful. careful what comes back and bites you if you make it. Exactly. You can't take the moral high ground on it now because it's going to come around and it's going to bite you on the backside because that's the nature of it. But, but you, can't, you can't really blame Brighton, for example, in so much as, all right, may, maybe they could have stuck their heels and said, well, look, we've agreed a price with Liverpool. We're going to stick to it. But then when the player turns well, around and says, no, I don't want to go to Liverpool, what can they do? They can't force the player to go, can they? But they've had two two identical bids, and the play is that the power is with the player. Then the, cl the club are yeah. laughing either way because they've got the their valuation matched. So it's down to the player where he wants to go. Mm. Well, that's right. At the end of the day. Um, so what what did you guys make of Newcastle's game in particular? Because that came as a surprise to me. I didn't think they were going to start like that. Martin, I have to say, I haven't seen it at all. If that helps, uh, sort of get past me in that question. So it's a little bit busy. <laughs> Rick, what did you make of it? Um, surprising. I thought so much as it's surprising in the fact that Villa conceded five because they were one of the teams that seemed to be on the up. And Emery's made some decent signings during the during the summer. I certainly didn't expect them to go there and, and ship five goals. Early goal obviously helped for Newcastle. And yeah, they're, they're, they're a very effective team. And uh, they're going to be... They're the one that people seem to have disregarded as far as the race. I certainly did, as far as the race for the top four goes for this season. They're the ones most likely not to be in the mix. But then they've certainly uh, made a statement with the first game. But you just have to see how it progresses from there. But it's certainly not the result I was expecting first game up. Not against Villa, anyway. I do think, though, that Aston Villa, they're very unfortunate with the incident with Tyro Mings going off. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were playing quite well up to then. Now, when your main centre half, um, you know, going off injured, um, hopefully has a speed recovery. It's been going to be for a while as well. Um, you know, they've worked everything on pre-season two centre half together, and you lose one of them after 20 minutes. And you had to bring someone in who's, uh, you know, haven't played much at all. I think, you know, they were they were getting pulled all over the place a bit. So, you know, although at Platinum five-one, I think, you know, it was. Would test the time when we see how actually Newcastle be on our next couple of games. You know, I think that might have been a bit of a false result, a little bit with uh, the injury to Tyrone Ming. Yeah, you can't read too much into it. Turner was a very flattering seven 0 last season. I seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course it was. But um, uh, another big club that is struggling is Everton, who lost again. You know, first first match of the season. But I mean, they sort of carry on a losing streak from last season. Um, you know, what's going on up there? We've got a new stadium coming along, which is, I gather, is due to be... But uh, they've slipped the uh, notice to the fans in to say they're not even sure it's going to be ready for the start of next season, let alone this season. I mean, you know, it, it's a hell of a responsibility, I would have thought, for somebody to decide to build a new stadium such as that, and then they could possibly end up getting relegated as well. I mean, Well, this is, this is testament to the fact that, you know, you can say anything, you can build anything and do anything. But, you know, I was making this conversation the other day that most of the things I've done in life and built the business up and so on is, is that in a, in a non-sort of, of weird controlling way is, is, is that I've always been in control of every aspect of that business. Yeah. And um, what I can do, and I don't think what the fans or anyone would appreciate me doing, is coming down and trying to kick the ball in the net. And so you always have that element, which is 
in the lap of the gods to a certain degree. It's certainly not something that a, uh, you know, you could go to the bank and say, I want to borrow this based on the fact we're going to score 50 goals. And, you know, you'd have to sort of back that up or, or, or so on. So there's always that element of chance that, you know, you, you, you make the decisions. If you imagine how far back with Everton that decision would have been made to, to build that club and invest in it, circumstances then might not be what they are now in terms of performance. Um, so, yeah, there's always that element of, of the unknown with that. So, you know, certainly it's more likely investors that would be switching more about that than anyone else, I should think. Adam, what do you think they would be doing or talking about in the ballroom at Goodison Park? This is, this is a this is part of a much wider scale issue that's been going on in Everton probably since Mashiri took over in 2016. Um, obviously, we've, we've discussed a lot about those that spend more typically do better. But there's so many other factors that have to be considered because all you have to do is look at Everton. The difference has been that everyone has called for, usually they'll call for new ownership, they'll call for more money to be spent to see more success. Everton have spent north of £500 million. The difference has been they've spaffed it up the wall, which is something that most clubs, it seems pretty inconceivable at that price. And that's also incorporating part of the stadium. Uh, Goodison is absolutely in desperate need of being replaced in terms of its the offering available, what many would expect at a Premier League outfit. It's coming across as a very in, uh, exciting stadium, albeit there's been some... Some rather tragic news I saw today. I think mm. the workers yeah. unfortunately lost their life yeah. whilst building it, which is obviously terrible and goes far beyond football. But it's those types of those conversations being had will be of ones concerned, but not necessarily the the issues surrounding whether the stadium's going to get built is something I think will be relatively less on their agenda. The impending issues yeah. with the FFP, they're going to be much, much higher. They've not been able to spend uh, nearly as much as they perhaps would have wanted to in a summer or in summers gone by because of mistakes made along the road. Um, Martin excellently highlighted it, the the idea of, and I, I put this down to why many those that run businesses struggle in football, is that they have a similar mindset, of that they've usually had a lot more power and a lot more intrinsic control than than many have in, in football, that you're you're trying to put your vision and you're relying on certain individuals. And if those individuals aren't the right people, you will see great issues with it. That's including recruitment. That's including play style. That's stuff in commercial departments. It's all sorts of it. It just happens to be Mishiri has put his faith in the wrong types of people. And they're still recovering from it, you know, four or five years later. I mean, that's it. The moral of the story really is it will always come down to what happens on the pitch. You could have... As a random example, you could have a National League club spend quarter of a million on a on a on a player and self and spend ten grand, and uh, you know one loses, one wins the weekend. So it's always it's always down to circumstances at this time. So um, calculated risks, perhaps, but not guaranteed not guaranteed results. Adam, just one indulge me on this one, will you? Because we're getting fairly close to the end. Um, Rick thinks it's rubbish. I honestly don't know, but do you think there's anything in this 7.3 billion offer? It's an awful lot of money, if that's what you're on about. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're meaning the, uh, the potential purchase of Manchester United. Well, yeah. the price continues to go up and up. It's not as much as the Glazers originally said they wanted. They originally valued it at close to £10 billion, which is ludicrous. Um uh, There's a whole number of reasons which we've discussed on the podcast of why they've reached that certain value given that there were two extremely interested parties in the club uh one of Qatari nature one of british nature it just sounds to me as if it's been a bit of a bidding war and that they've just been more willing to put the money in and it's now reached a figure where one of them's gone it's simply not worth it my argument would have been that that figure where it simply wasn't worth it was about two billion pound before then but you know there's a whole number of things that happen seem to need to change first, whether it's seven point three billion pounds, whether it's billion euros, billion dollars, has actually got massive changes on what that eventual price looks. But whichever way we look at it, it will be the most expensive sale of a football club uh, ever. If it ever and I'd, be fascinated. I'd actually be fascinated to see the business plan behind that bid, 
which kind of indicates to investors how they intend to get a return on that. I mean, that would be a fantastic. Sort of an open I, I think that's the reason that this has become in the public arena this week is the fact that it's it's twice the book value of the actual asset, which is why the figure has come into the public arena. Somebody's come out and said, you know, basically, why are they at this situation? It's, it's far more than the club's. And this is, this is borrowed money from investors. This isn't cash sitting around in a bank. And somewhere along the line, they must justify to investors as to how they intend to to, to prove to them it's a, a good return on their investment. That would be a fascinating read. I, I think that highlights, um, I think the only way that this figure is ever achievable is the chances are there are very little additional stakeholders to consider. Because I don't think there's a conceivable way that having a genuinely business-orientated investor would go, yes, that's the way of looking at it. So $7.3 would be north of 10 times the annual revenue of the club. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's it's a huge issue for them. But if the Qatari is who he says he is, he has no stakeholders to be considered of. He's got the money, in theory, to stump up for it, as does Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Um, it's a very interesting one. Whichever way you look at it, it's a trophy asset. This is going to be, we're showing off what so we've done here. There's an egotistical thing from the buyer and there's, from the Glaziers, there's a certain narcissistic element to the seller. Yeah. Exactly that. There's certainly, you know, many that invest in football clubs, of those I've worked with, there are multiple reasons to invest in a football club. Some of them are for the love of football, rightly so, and rightly, some of them are business intentions. The Whoever ends up buying Man United, it's certainly going to be swaying towards the side of ego rather than the side of business. Tony, what do you think? Getting close to the end, but you're a red, red like me. What do you think? As long as we get our trophies back, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. I think it's, that's uh, the majority. It's, it's, I think, like I say, it pleases some of the fans and that. But the money we're talking now is just so ridiculous, and that, like I say, um, how they're going to justify what they're going to get back. Uh, I take it they've got a plan to build a new stadium, is it, or add on? Don't know. They haven't um, said yet, have they, really? We, I suppose it'll all come out I, when, when the deal goes through, if it ever does. Well, I'm sure. It would be fascinating to see the, the, the various revenue streams that they that they can achieve from yeah. you know a, a club at that level. Well, look, yeah. we're getting very got two minutes left to go. Um, Martin, have you got anything up your sleeve for tomorrow night's entertainment? In t- not the football now, I mean... Uh, you know, tomorrow night it might be some piped music or something. We haven't quite got to the point of Tuesday night bands at the moment. Right. Um, you know, every Saturday, you know, we we certainly intend to. So you know, just sort of hang in there on that fact. Um, you know, I must say these bands inevitably want pain as well. So you know, watch a bit of that. Um, but uh, I, I hope a repeat of Saturday um, in terms of on the pitch. Um, you know, just just sort of keep that faith going and and enjoy the venue and and you know we haven't stopped there we, we're continuing so just just you know it's like I said the other day it is okay and nothing to be sort of uh, nervous about if something is just nice and good and okay just enjoy yeah. it there's no sinister sort of a thing around the corner or anything so uh, and very hard for yoga fans to get used to that after after a while out in the sort of wilderness as they have but. Yeah, just a, a repeat of Saturday, and if we do better than that, then 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 so be it. But you know, all those people around the back of the Thatchers and anyone in between, please know that we continually want to improve our experience. So we thank them for their for their support. Good. Okay, Martin. Well, let's uh, let's hope for a, at least a two 0 win. I should think maybe even a three 0 win would be rather nice. Um, although, of course. Uh, I, I know. Although I must, I must just say, if, if, he, if he does listen to this, the only dampener on something like that is every time you score, you've got Reese Rosser tapping you on the shoulder and reminding you what the goal bonus was. <laughs> That's a typical accountant, though, isn't it's it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, let, let's hope. But uh, I, obviously, I, I know the manager of Truro quite well, and uh, I'm sure he's not going to come up here and be a sacrificial lamb, knowing Paul Watton. So uh, it should be a good game. Should be a good game. They're all going to be tough ones, and it's, you know, no doubts about it. It's not the it's not going to be the easiest league to climb out of, but we've 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 certainly put everything into it our end, and and those lads, I certainly know, you know, the point to make. Not one single player comes out on the pitch deliberately 
to play badly. No. Um, you know, this is down to circumstance and, and, and being a human, I'm afraid. So, um, yeah, but all, all, all guns blazing, all very happy, all very positive. Good. Well, thank you very much for coming on again, Martin. We look forward to next month. Um, uh, Adam, thanks for coming on with your financial advice. And uh, Tony, I uh, haven't seen you, but heard a lot from you. So thanks for that, mate. Appreciate it. And of course, Rick. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So that's it for this week. So all I can say is thank you very much for listening to Football Bloody Hell. Mm -hmm.